Okay, for our final message today, be brought to us by Mr. David Hope, and is entitled Focus. Thank you, Sean. Greetings, everyone. Greetings to everyone around the world from Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you have the opportunity to view us live today, we welcome you here. As if you heard the uh, other message uh, a while ago by Mr. Carter, you, you'll realize and he reminded you that in just four days, Wednesday, we'll be observing the Day of Atonement, a day rich in symbolism, and also which involves fasting. If you're having difficulty, like a lot of us do sometimes, if you have difficulty, difficulty in sometimes feeling close to God, you know, a lot of times we do. We, we, we wonder, are our prayers really even getting out? You know, and then sometimes we feel very strong, very close to God. But if you're, if you're at that point this year, which, you know, I'd, I'd like to be a little stronger myself. But anyway, if we're that way, I would suggest that we focus on the fasting part of the Day of Atonement for a positive way of drawing near to God. And we know fasting is used throughout the Bible for many situations uh, where people have uh, terrible problems, where there's things that they want to overcome, the having. And Day of Atonement, I'm not wanting to, you know, take away and, and imply something shouldn't be there, but uh, Day of Atonement, we're going to be hungry on that day anyway. We're going to be fasting. We're going to afflict our soul. The scripture tells us if we don't afflict our soul, then God's going to be upset. And when we're afflicting our soul on the Day of Atonement, we might as well not put it in a negative tone like I sometimes, but I think a lot of us do, you know, when is sundown? <laughs> you know, when are going to eat, when I have my first cup of coffee and all of that. But I think if we would turn that around and dwell on the positive part of, of a Day of Atonement, on not, I don't mean that's the only positive thing because there's so much symbolism, and I know our other speakers uh, Curtis and Matthew will get into that probably uh, on Day of Atonement, so I'm not going to cover those things, but I, I wanted to uh, have us to uh, put a little more emphasis on the positive part and the good part of, of Day of, uh, of Fasting. And today, now this may sound a little strange to you, but today I want to use photography as an analogy between man and God. It's not intended to be some new doctrine, but, you know, somebody says, oh, no, here, here, here hope goes again. And I'm going to start off with a couple of scriptures, and then, uh, hopefully they'll be progressive that way. Uh, when we, and I want us to, during the Day of Atonement and the fasting, I want us to focus, as the title says, focus on God, on the closeness of God, being close to God, Him being close to us, and... I at one time even thought about the title on that, uh, Fasting Equals Focus. You know, there's so many things that you could put in there, but I just put focus, and and that's what we'll be. If you turn with me, or, or at least on the, look on the board of uh, James 4, very short verse here. And this is a positive thing. Draw near unto God, and he will draw near unto you. And fasting, prayer, studying, all this is one way that we... Uh, uh, draw near to God. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
and we'll go down to uh, Mark 9 chapter 17 through uh, 30 and another example of, of fasting that uh, just basically to show the importance of that and how fasting if we're focused right can can do tremendous things and I'll be breaking into a thought into a, a deal that Jesus uh, and one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto you my son, which has a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he takes him, he tears him, and he foams it and gashes with his teeth, and he pines away. And I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. I think most of you know where we're going on this. And he answered them, Jesus, and he answered them and said, Oh, faithless generation, I guess he was a little bit perturbed with the disciples there. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. You know, bring the guy. Come on, you know, I'm really disgusted here. Bring him to me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him and fell on the ground and wallowed foaming, you know, just, I guess, maybe like an epileptic fit or something like that, or convulsion. I don't know the word fit would be a good thing to say. I know I, the first time I ever saw somebody have an epileptic seizure, I, it scared me, you know, I was just a kid, and uh, uh, it's not a not a fun thing to see, and I'm sure if you have a child or a close loved one that, that have these seizures, it's not, not fun. It's a very horrible thing, and uh, anyway, uh, when I was young, I uh, helped my brother when I was about nine years old deliver papers, and then when I got 11, I had my own paper out and delivering uh, the Tulsa Tribune six days a week, and then on Sunday mornings, at, uh, the Tulsa World newspaper, and we'd have to get up about two o'clock in the morning to deliver those papers, and, and this gentleman, uh, he was quite a bit older, he at that time was probably in his old 40s, I guess, and his mother had an old... Uh, I think it was an old 47 Chevy, and she would drive him around, you know. And, and back in those days in, in the little town I lived in, Oilton, uh, you had certain places to put the paper, you know. You, you couldn't just throw it like you do here. I tried it one time, and I went back to about four different places and had to pick up the paper out of the yard and take it up to them. Anyway, my point is, and I'm just uh, maybe taking too much time, but uh, all the time I was afraid that I would run into that guy, and every once in a while I'd hear his car, his mother's car, you know, we would kind of meet during the route, and they'd have the parking lights on, and I was always afraid that, you know, he was going to do that. So I'm, I'm sure the gentleman, uh, you know, no, he wasn't afraid, but, you know, it was a, a tremendous inconvenience to him and to his family. It says, uh, oh, starting verse, oh, and he asked, how long, is it since this came upon him, and he said of a child. He'd been away all of his life, I guess. And oftentimes it cast him into the fire, into the waters, to destroy him. But if you, ca if you can do anything, have compassion. You know, if you can do this, Jesus, and help us. Jesus said unto him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And straightway, verse 24, straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears. You know, and I'm sure he was very, very uh, um, sincere about this. I believe, help you my unbelief. You know, I've got, you know, I've got a, a certain amount of faith, but I, 
you, you just really need to help me over the hill. You know, I need to need to be a little more. Maybe I need to focus. I don't know what it is, but you know, I really need you to help my unbelief. And straightway the father of the child cried out. Oh, I read that. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, You dumb and deaf spirit, I charge you to come out of him, and he entered, or and enter into him no more. You know, get 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 out of here. Don't ever come back. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead. You know, he was very very limp. Insomuch as many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? And here's, here's the point. I'm reading all that to get to this point. And Jesus said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. So we, we have to be focused. We have to be focused on God, focused on the the, the uh blessings that God has, the promises God has, need to be focused on Him, and, and that helps to build our faith. And there's so many things I could go into in that line, but I'm not going to go too far in that way. Uh, fasting is likened to, in my opinion, focusing the brain on God. Fasting is likened to the focusing our brain on God. Think about that, if you will. I've got a little bit of a deal here I want to show. Most of you know what this is. This, this is a, an old-time camera. Uh, I think I bought it in 1980, and it was a pretty, pretty good camera back in that day. And uh, it has foking, foking, focusing mechanisms on it. It has several things on it. Um, for one thing, you can focus a lot of, well, focus makes things come in clear. And I want you to do a little demonstration. If you've got a pencil or a little object or something or other that you can put up in front of you, or you got the right idea, put it up there and look at it and concentrate on, on that, maybe even your finger if you don't have anything else. And, and, and you might even be able to see the, the speck on your finger. And then you're still looking at me, but looking at that, and you don't see me, do you? I mean, you see me, yeah. But, I, but, but you can't tell how many fingers I've got up if you're just looking at that. But if you, you put that down or just put it to the side and look at me, if you've got fairly good eyes, you can see that I have how many fingers back there? How many? Four, okay. <laughs> I started to say I might loan you my glasses. They're, they're fairly good on that. But anyway, but... Uh, you, you can look at, uh, uh, Mark McGarvey, can you stand up for just a second? Okay, you guys, in, especially in the back, look at Mark McGarvey. Hold your finger up like this, but, but focus on Mark. And Mark, uh, you, but anyway, <laughs> uh, you, you can probably see Mark, but you don't see me. Thank you, Mark. You, you can probably see Mark, but you don't really see too much of me, and you don't see too much of, of the background. And, uh, but if you hold your finger up and look at me, you know, through my finger here, you may even see a double image, but you're, you're focusing on, I'm, I'm focusing right now at, at Sean standing up back at the back, 
and uh, my finger's there, and I can put it up here, it might get away, but, but, but I, I see him crystal clear, and everything up in here blurry. Well, that's, that's a lot what the cameras, uh, you do that with a camera, and well, I should have left the lens on there. Here's the focusing mechanism on the camera, and this lens is not real obvious from back there, but it goes in and out. And when you're up close, you know, you focus it in, a lot like uh, uh, binoculars or telescope or something. And uh, it's a little more obvious with the telephoto lens. You know, you can put, put a telephoto lens on and, you know, and it's, it's real dramatic. You can see that pretty good. But uh, anyway, but it's, we use that to focus. And also helping with our focus, you have the aperture, and most of you know the pupil of the eye, you know how it changes size and everything. You can uh, be in a fairly dark area, dark room, people in the nursing will know that pretty well, and doctors, but uh, instead of the metallurgist doctor over there, he may not know that so much, but anyway, uh, you, you can be fairly dark, and you can take a little flashlight and shine here, and boy, you can just see that pupil contract there. And that's the way you can't really see that, I don't think, from back there. But that's the way the f-stop you've seen on an adjustable camera that has f-stops. And uh, uh, you probably can't see that. I probably I could just pass it around and let you see. But right now it's on uh, f.1. And I can turn it all the way over to, on this particular lens to f16. The smaller number is a larger aperture on the thing. It, it's opened up and it lets more light in. And that also can affect your depth of field. You know, when we're looking at a, something out here about midway between here and the back, uh, we can set, uh, be somewhat focused and, and, and change the depth of field. Maybe it'd be a little clearer up this way, a little bit more clearer in the background just by changing the aperture. So. Anyway, so you, you may not ever need to know anything like that, but uh, it's, it is interesting to know in line of what I'm trying to get at. But it lets, anyway, it lets more and less light in, and, and I don't want to take too awfully much time on, on stuff that's, uh, well, it's necessary, but uh, I want to cover some other things too. Uh, in light of that, um, Psalms 119, and they're just a real short, short verse here. Psalms 119, 105. Thy word is the lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And how many times lately have we heard, you know, that read even from the pulpit up here? Your word is a light unto my feet. And if we have our eyes wide open, we're susceptible to that, and we can take in more of that. Now, of course, if we're in the bright light, and uh, some analogies break down after a while. You know, analogies are cute, but uh, they'll break down if you get too wild with them. But uh, uh, we need to, in order to focus, we need to uh, focus on the light that God puts out, his law, his rules, his path. Proverbs 6, verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp, and a light, or in the law is light, 
and reproofs of instruction or the way of life. So it's very important, very important for focusing to have the proper light. And another thing that I want to mention on uh, most adjustable cameras, now some cameras are uh, totally automatic. They do all of that by themselves. They, uh, they, they shut, they do the focusing. Uh, they'll um, set the aperture, and we're going to talk about shutter speed right now for just a brief minute. And uh, the shutter speed, you've got a curtain in here that uh, is closed, and then when you push the button, all of what you have focused in that lens, what you have focused in there, that shutter, you know, just depending on the speed that you have, what type of film and all that, that it's, it's going to imprint that on the film that's in the camera. Then you take it in to get it developed, and that's a little more part of the story. But uh, and there are different facets on uh, shutter speeds and things of that nature. Um, I, I don't want to bore, not necessarily bore you, but get into too much technical detail. Some situations require actually a little longer exposure. Uh, you take, uh, say, a, uh, you want to take a moon eclipse or something, or stars going across the sky, or maybe something with real dim lighting. You'd have uh, maybe a setting where the cam the shutter would stay open. Your aperture probably would be wide open. Your focusing would be way out, and uh, but it needs more exposure. Same way with us. Sometimes when we're a little bit hard-headed when we're having a, a particular problem, emotionally, spiritually, or whatever. Sometimes we need a little bit more exposure to the light, to the, to the whatever God is trying to give to us, trying to put on us. Sometimes we need a little more exposure. But the thing is, you're not going to get any kind of exposure until you push the button. So we're, none of this focusing or anything is going to do any good if we don't do it, if we don't apply it, if we don't try to do it. And water is not part of it either. But photography is a two-way process, and in my opinion, is a two-way process. You have the camera, and you have the dark room. We've just discussed the camera, which I'm likening to man, and the dark room is God the photo finisher. God says, I'm the author and the finisher, you know, of our salvation, of our calling. God is the finisher of it. He's the, he's the one that, that does that. And I'll try to make this clear to you, and, and I, I don't think it'll be too boring. I, well, it shouldn't be boring at all. It's not for me. I love it. But anyway, I'm going to start off with a few more scriptures. Uh, Genesis 11, verse 1. Because God wants to see for himself. God also focuses on us. He focuses on the world. And I'm just picking out a couple of scriptures right now just to illustrate a point. And there are probably others that, that would, in your opinion, may even uh, settle the score even better. But these, these will just give you an idea that showing you that God 
uh, is focusing and looking. Genesis 11, verse 1, talking about the Tower of Babel. Most of you are familiar with that. Well, the whole earth, you know, spoke one language, and they were, going, they were so far advanced, way more far advanced than what God wanted them at that particular time. How close they are to where we are today, I don't know. But I'm sure they were pretty smart people. <laughs> and God thought, man, what I did was a good thing, but boy, these people are really coming along. We've got to slow them down. So in, in verse 1, 11 verse 1, And the whole earth was one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and may even let's build a space vehicle. I don't know, but anyway, this is the old time. Let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime, for they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach to heaven, and let us make a name. Let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad on the face of the earth. And listen to this. And the Lord came down to see the city. He came down to really focus on the people. We really come down to see. Came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they began to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them for which they have imagined to do. And how many people believe 200 years ago we'd be on the moon, we'd have satellites going around, and we'd be able to see uh, what's going on on the other side of the world right now instantly when it's happening, maybe just, just a digital few seconds off. What they could imagine to do. Go to, let us go down. So I guess God was going to take an angel or two with him or two. Let's go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth, of all the earth, and they left off to build a city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did confound the language of the earth, for from whence they did the Lord scattered them abroad. So God came down, he, he took a, a, a close look at it. He, as the Lord said some, one time in his, one of his messages, he was squinting. You know, God was really looking, really looking close uh, at them, as he does to us at times. Uh, and here's one more example of the same similar situation, very uh, popular, uh, not popular, but... Uh, uh, well known to all the most people of, that read the Bible, and it's just I'm just reading a couple of verses when uh, uh, God visited with Abraham. He was fixing to uh, uh, go and see what was going on at Sodom and Gomorrah before he destroyed it. And I'm going into uh, Genesis 18, verse 20 through 21. And the Lord said, "Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great." And because their sin is grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of that which is coming to me. And if not, I will know. 
So God is looking very closely to see what's really going on. I, I don't want to get into the point of, you know, some people say, well, God's everywhere. He knows everything going on. And I'm, not, I'm not going to get into that. He does. He has access. Or he, you know, God is omnipotent or present or whatever they call it. And, uh, but uh, not to say that uh, he's in tune with every little micro thing going on in everybody's life. I'm not going to get into that. You may think he does, and okay, that's all right. I'm not saying he does or don't. But I know that there, the scripture says that, that, that God will come down and he will look. And, of course, we, there's so many, many other scriptures that God's eyes go throughout the earth. I may even have one down. I'm not sure. Yeah, okay, let me just go ahead on. I do have one. Proverbs 5.21. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders his goings. You know, he looks at it, he he investigates it. Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. I'm going to go into a section now. I mentioned a while ago the, the dark room, and I didn't say this, but the dark room is where the final touches take place. Have any of you all had experience in photography and dark room or anything? You have? Good. And back here, a couple of you already. And Steve over here. So if, if I say something out of line, you know, I'll, I'll be caught. Now, it's been a long time since I've done much study on it, but I've been involved in it a number of years. But anyway, the dark room uh, is, is a, a very, very interesting thing, if, if you enjoy that. But... Uh, like I said, that's where the final touches are. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're the uh, camera and God is the dark room, so to speak, or just kind of an analogy. Sometimes even images of the best quality, and uh, no, some images even after the best efforts of focus, you know, we've done a really, what we've done the best job we can with the camera here we had the, the shutter speed just right for the proper film. Uh, we had uh, the aperture just right. Our depth of field was, was you know, acceptable where we wanted. And uh, the focus, it was really focused good. But still, there can be a problem, you know, when you want to process it, if you're going to publish it commercially or, or just uh, have a good picture on the wall or something. Uh, sometimes you still have to do some things to that uh, that that picture and, and we could say that picture might be us you know in reverse to God it, it, it needs some uh, enhancements or needs some adjustments to it to make it even better and even as good as we are we can use some adjustments we can use some fine tuning and some enhancements I got interested basically in photography uh, when I was last part of my senior year I moved uh, from uh, New Mexico back to Oklahoma where I went the first seven years with, with my kids there in Oilton. And uh, when I moved in, the, uh, the school I went to in New Mexico uh, had not had their senior pictures taken yet. And when I got into Oilton, they'd already had their senior pictures taken. So I really was a no, a no entity. I, I, was no, I was nobody's yearbook that year, even though I graduated uh, in Oklahoma, but uh, uh, anyway, but uh, 
but I did need to have senior pictures. Everybody has to have senior pictures. You know, you send them to your aunts and your uncles, and they'll send you money or gifts or trinkets or something. You know, and uh, you know everybody has to have senior pictures. And and uh, mom and dad always displays them. Grandparents they display them on the piano or up on the knickknack shelf or something. Oh, there's my grandson, or oh, there's my baby boy or girl. You know, and, and uh, you know so we had to have a senior picture taken. And there was a little studio in Drumright, Oklahoma, which was seven miles over. And a good friend of mine took me over there one evening after school, after track practice, I think. And he was still open and had to borrow his black jacket, you know. And, and I had a gray jacket, but they didn't do good on senior pictures. But anyway, uh, I asked the, the, the photographer there, I said, how do you make all these people look so good, you know? People that I'd already seen senior pictures of had wrinkles, had moles, had uh, 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 pimples on them, you know, and, uh, you know, they, they just, but you take their senior picture and they really look good, you know, uh, just like they had makeup on. And I, and I thought, well, you, what's the deal on that? He said, oh, well, let me, he said, I'll, I'll show you how to do it. He said, uh, uh, you come over some evening after after hours, and I'll work with you, and I'll coach you. So uh, we set up a time for the next week, I guess, and he came to Oilton and met me out in front of the drugstore and picked me up and took me over there, and he showed me some little tricks he did, you know, with a pencil and all that, and how they make, uh, you know, the uh, wrinkles and stuff go away, and even, even teenagers, you know, are imperfect. And, uh, and then he showed me, uh, how to develop pictures, just simple, you know, and black and white pictures. And I was really engrossed with that. I, I, I thought, man, if I hadn't already been engaged, my wife wasn't going to go get married this summer, uh, you know, uh, I might see if I could find a school out in California or somewhere, because I didn't have very many of them to, to go and take photography. And uh, anyway, uh, I, I got just enough that I really enjoyed it. Well. I think it was what, our second Christmas friend we were married and then my wife bought me a little little uh, darkroom kit, a little contact printer, you know, where you lay the negative down on the paper, or the paper down on the negative and flash the light for a couple of seconds and then, you, but anyway, so it just kind of grew from there over the years when enough kids would move out and all of that and I ended up with a color enlarger and, and I still have a darkroom in my house that, uh, you know, I can do things with. But focus in the dark room is is is, is very very important. You, uh, if you've ever in, if you've never uh, seen that done, maybe in uh, uh, on the new on the news, but in the movies, you enlarger the little box that's up there that has lights and stuff in there and filters or whatever, and it shines the image of the negative or slide down on your paper and it gives you your exposure. So you're doing opposite of what you did when you took a picture and uh, if you're doing negatives everything's in reverse and uh, slides is a lot easier it's you know it's uh, true to true but anyway uh, but you have uh, analyzers you have density analyzers uh, analyzing the the quality of the negative or the slide and and you determine the exposure time and many other things and there's one tool that uh, I don't know if God has a uh, 
counterpart of that in there. I don't know. He has something, I'm sure, but for for the re, the little simple uh, dark room and even professional dark rooms, they have a uh, I'm calling it a fine grain analyzer. You focus your image down on your paper before you I mean not your paper but your easel before you ever make your exposure and you get all your focusing in and it's really hard especially on negatives as Steve will know and and Margaret will know that you know sometimes it's a little hard to get everything you think it's really clear uh, but uh, this particular uh, uh, fine grain analyzer you put it down in the path of that and there hopefully you put it in there where maybe some grains of hair you know coming down or or some uh, uh, technical not technical but a little fine detail and you really get that tuned in and then you know if you get that really clear then basically the whole image is going to be clear well I'm sure God has something like that that he's looking at us you know through um, you know focusing on us and there's filters all kinds of filters that you put on on these you put them in a dark room uh, to get certain effects, to uh, take out unwanted effects and things. Uh, you can, uh, let me get here. Okay. Um, there's some things that, like I mentioned a while ago, there'll be some uh, imperfections or or something that in a, in a, negative or slide that uh, could be improved upon. And most likely, uh, most of you out here are, are perfect either. You know, there's probably something that some of you could use, you know, some imperfection in your character or your heart or whatever. I know there is on me. and um, But there's some things that, that need to have some attention I did a wedding I did a few weddings but uh, one wedding particular I did several years ago and uh, they wanted me to do all of the pictures you know to, uh, even the enlargements you know and the, all of this and uh, there was a group picture of the bride and the groom and their parents and it was a good picture overall. It was one of the best composed one. Everybody, you know, acting s s decent and everything, you know, nobody putting fingers up behind the other body. And, but anyway, it was good, but the uh, groom was light complexion. And the light shined on him, and boy, I mean, you talk about a washout, you know. And his wife standing next to him was darker complexion, and the light wasn't shining on her so much. Just like me, I can get out of the light a little bit. And it was a good picture, and they both agreed. I liked that picture, but boy, did it really lack something. So we had to do some trickery, I guess you would call it. And one of it is, uh, Steve will probably know the words on this, some of it is burning in and dodging. And on the, the uh, one where the uh, uh, gentleman was, was really like complexion, had to uh, cover most of the... The, the light path with uh, a shaded thing where the the light would expose through on him, give him more, and, and it had to be calculated. You know, I'd had to 
uh, set my timer, you know, on the thing that automatically shuts off. And it gives him more exposure, makes it darker, makes his face darker. Well, with the, 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 his wife, the bride, um, she was so dark. If I'd done that with her, she would have looked like a Afro-American, you know, which is okay, but she wasn't, you know. She, she, uh, you know, she was just uh, a darker-complected uh, uh, person. So it had to do what they call uh, dodging on that, and you had to put a little device in here to shade that part and let the other. So anyway, combination of things. Well, there's things in our personality that, that God has to do to us. I don't know what it is, but uh, when he looks at us, and, and, especially, and I'm not going to say especially if we uh, focus on him and he's got something to look back, he's going to look at us anyway. I'm just using that as an analogy, but God looks at us anyway, and he knows that there's certain things that we need, I need. And some of us need different things than others. You know, one thing that that God may have to really hit me over the head for and may be gentle with you, some of you people. And some things that uh, is no problem with me, God may have to really twist your arm a little bit, you know, and give you a problem. I don't know what it is, but I know God knows. He's, he's the brilliant, but he's the, the photo finisher. He's the finisher of our salvation. So, anyway, there are different things for different ones of us. And... Uh, the main thing that I want to get across is this Day of Atonement coming up on Wednesday. I really recommend that we focus deeply on the true benefits of the afflicting of our soul. I don't want you to forget the other, you know, the two goats and the man in the wilderness and all this. This is all important, but for a little bit, you know, especially when you when we go home after the Day of Atonement or if we're hungry, you know, think about this is really worth it. You know, God is focusing on me today. God knows me. I'm focusing on Him. I'm obedient to Him. And and, and it says, you know, if we if we do not afflict our soul, we're going to, you know, His people will be cut off. Well, we're not going to be cut off. We're going to be a part of God's uh, kingdom and a part of what Mr. Carter was mentioning in his message. So while we're afflicting our soul, as painful sometimes as it may be, you know, think about the good that, that will come out of this and folk, and God will focus on us also. And I've got P.S., like Noel said a while ago. God be with you and have a wonderful day of atonement and feast of tabernacles.